Hey folks, welcome into the 615 Preps Podcast for round number three of the high school football playoffs in Middle Tennessee. Alongside Scott Burton, I'm Chris Brooks. Thanks for joining us this week. Got a lot to talk about. Got a lot to dig into, so let's get right to it. A couple of games from last week that we had that we thought were going to be really good turned into, well, not. And <laughs> Scott, you were at Beach for Hillsboro Beach, a, a rematch of a region game from earlier this year. I had East Nashville Pro Cone, also a, a region rematch, and, and both the games ended in shutouts, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we're only half responsible for that, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, fans are right in there with us. Um, yeah. You know, they, but, you know, give the fans a break. They've been spot on up until uh, well, this For most of week. the year they have been. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So, uh, yeah, Hillsborough Beach, uh, you know, that was a 14-7 to game uh, earlier in the year. Um, but, th- you know, really this game was much closer than the final score indicated. Uh, it was only 8 to nothing at the end of the half, and Hillsborough really had dominated the first quarter and most of the second offensively. The biggest thing is they couldn't break any big plays, and they had too many penalties at the absolute worst time. For example, they drive the ball down the field, and trailing 15 to nothing. Jalen making the quarterback carries it to the one, but his helmet comes off while he's laying on the ground. Okay, so he's out for the next play. They come in the next play, and they run a wildcat, and they score, but there's a holding penalty. Now you have first and goal from the 11. Okay, you don't, you know, you go backwards from there, and then uh, on third and uh, long, making get sacked, and then they miss a field goal from a pretty decent you know, that was the kind of night they were having. They would move the ball, but the problem is, is they could not maintain uh, drives. Uh, they, uh, the lack of a kicking game in some respects, they went for it a lot on fourth downs. And I know that uh, sabermetrics or whatever it is, uh, that wasn't working for them. Um, and then just as late in the game, as Hillsborough became more and more one-dimensional, they gave up short fields to beach, which combined with the exhausted defense just helped to account for that lopsided score. But uh, you have to give Beach's defense credit. Uh, the defensive back, particularly Tyshawn Jefferson, had great coverage, you know, great man coverage, which allowed the defense to get to Macon. I believe they spied him a lot with Adrian Johnson to keep him in the pocket. Um, and then Beach stayed true to their running game, eventually able to sustain drives. Something Hillsborough just couldn't do. Then Tyshawn Jefferson started to gash him, and then Adrian Johnson pounded. Yeah, um, you know, but the backbreaker, you know, was really it's fifteen to nothing. Uh, Beach has uh, the ball; they're driving, uh, and they do a halfback pass from Johnson to Xavier Jones that that put him up twenty-two to nothing late in the third. After that, the wheels just came off. Um, but you give credit to Beach. They played. They came out and executed their game plan, which you know, just like the Iceman in the Top Gun movies, they just wear you down until you make a mistake, and then they've got you. Yeah, and that's a little bit of the formula Pearl Cone put on the East Nashville too, especially in the first half. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a walk in the park for the Firebirds in the first quarter, and. It wasn't really until they had a goal line stand at the start of the second quarter that they started to kind of take control of things. But when they did, Martino Owens was well behind it. Kid was dealing all night. You know, he had, he had a couple of great touchdown passes. 
ran one, ran a couple in himself, and that's really all they needed. East Nashville just couldn't really sustain a whole lot offensively. And Rontavius Gregory, they they keyed on him and, and kept him in check. And it was just a tough night for East Nashville, who thought they could come in and have a chance to you know stay with Pearl Cone, if not have a chance to beat them. But it just never materialized. And Pearl Cone's playing some good football right now, about as well as anybody in 3A. And, and they have a swagger about them that I think was kind of you know missing when we we talked about them last year. They they have a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder from from last year's team. It, it seems like the Firebirds have a have a mission to get back to Cookville and and, and take another shot at, at a gold ball. Yeah, I I think that when they came off that field last year, well, Coach Brunetti said it. I, it was just the stage for them. He felt may have been too bright. Their eyes were just too wide. They've been there now, uh, and they know what it takes to get there. And it. Now I, I'm thinking that he's showing them, you know, the way to to get in there and win it with a swagger and a confidence, which is what this team is obviously playing with right now. Yeah, and, and Martino Owens, I mean, just the way he has played, he's a Mr. Football finalist for a reason. It it was a little bit it was a little bit tough seeing him go off the field in Cookville last year when he got hurt, but he's come back from that bigger and stronger, and he's protected the football. Though. I mean, he, he's been what they've needed him to be. It'd be a leader on that team and, and just be a, a very good quarterback. And, and that's the reason why that they're they're now 7-0 and and, and headed to Stewart County this week for a, a quarterfinal match. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. Speaking of the Mr. Football finalists, though, we got to get to those because they were just announced this week. And there are nine from our coverage area who are going to be at that banquet on December 8th with a chance to take home one of the coveted Mr. Football Awards. Among them, Martino Owens in 3A, Destin Wade from Summit in 5A, Jake Brenningstool from Ravenwood in 6A, Division II Single A has DCA's John Lewis and Davidson Academy's Griffin Swinney, CPA's Langston Patterson in AA, and Father Ryan quarterback DC Tapscott in AAA. And two of the three kicker of the year finalists are from this area, as well as Trey Turk from Oakland and Tegan Lingering from Brentwood Academy, are also finalists. So, pretty good, pretty good little group of, of finalists for Mr. Football Awards. There were a couple that I think that though that got snubbed. Do you? Alex Broom from Lipscomb Academy should have been one of the finalists in Double well, I think I think he should have gotten one of them. Yeah. And I'm a little bit surprised that the leading that one of the leading rushers in 6A wasn't among them in Ray Banner from Laverne. Yeah, that was the one for me that kind of stuck out. Uh, I was a little shocked that uh, that Ray Banner didn't make it. Um, but and I I could see I could see your argument for Alex Broom as well. Um, both of those guys were you know more than deserving. And had, you know, Mr. Football-type seasons. Uh, of course, when the votes for these are put out, you know, I got to wonder if some of these if some of these voters are not taking special teams into account when when they vote. on If they're looking at stats, if they're not taking return yardage into account, because Alex Room plays such a big part in, in special teams for Lipscomb Academy, and you know, that all-purpose yardage goes up a lot, quite a bit when you add his return yards in. 
I mean, if you're just looking at rushing and receiving yards, that, that tells one story. But if he's got the ball in his hands anywhere, he's a threat to score. Yeah. So it, it, I thought he should have been a finalist, but and it is what it is. And, and we may mention that a little bit later on as well. If it, if that serves as any motivation for him, for his teammates this week, they could they could find themselves rolling to Cookville for a chance at a gold ball. Some more hardware for us to give out is our Citizens Bank Player of the Week award for round two, and we had another group of just oh my great performances oh. to to go over. You guys aren't making this easy. They're not. They're really not. Well, let's go over the finals real quick. Kate Granzo from Brantwood, from Brentwood, twenty three of thirty four passing, one hundred seventy nine yards and two touchdowns. Had eighteen carries for one hundred and two yards and two more scores. And had that ridiculous flip pass for a touchdown to beat Independence in the final seconds. Yeah, uh, again, uh, you know that's uh, another great performance for Cade Granzel. Uh, you know what? What a great horseshoe toss! Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just down the road, Taylor Montiel from Brentwood Academy, seventeen of twenty-four through the air, two forty-five and three touchdowns passing. As the Eagles came back to beat JP two thirty-four thirty-one. Jared Vito, Davidson Academy, 19 of 27 passing, 361 yards and five touchdowns as the Bears beat Jackson Christian 54 to 20. John Lewis from DCA, one of our former winners in the regular season, 23 carries, 293 yards, five touchdowns as the Wildcats beat Trinity Christian 48 to 7. Connor Beaven from Franklin, 23 of 34 passing, 304 yards and three touchdowns, including a last-minute game winner at Ravenwood as the Admirals knocked off the, the Raptors 31-28. How crazy was that pass? I mean, just right there. On the money. Oh, my goodness. On the money. Brendan Jones from Good Pasture, another former winner. He won in Week 11. 21 carries, 232 yards, and six touchdowns. Mm. Also had four catches for 34 yards as Good Pasture knocked off CAK 61-34. Marcel Reed from NBA, 10 of 15 passing, 133 yards and two touchdowns, 15 carries, 159 yards, and two more scores as NBA beat Baylor 28-13. Oakland's Jordan James, 12 carries, 204 yards, four touchdowns as the Patriots beat Mount Juliet 49-17. And then Summit's Destin Wade, 26 carries, 242 yards, three touchdowns, 7 of 12 passing for 81 yards and another score as Summit beat Columbia 28 to 14. Fan votes done. Jared Vito from Davidson Academy gets the fan vote. They had 39% to John to Brendan Jones is 24%. Connor Beaven finished third with 15%. John Lewis had 6% in fourth. So we know how the fans voted. Now it's our turn. Wow. This is really just sometimes it's almost unfair. I mean, it it really is yeah. because you yeah you, know, you go through and at, at this point you're really just splitting hairs and looking for any edge to say this person is deserving. They're all deserving. Okay, they all are. But we have to pick one. That's yep. our burden. Unless, uh, you know, I cop out. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Chris, do you want to take the first one or you want me to? I, I don't care. But. You know what? I'll take the first one because I've, I've kind of settled on 
a young man I think is deserving and, and a, a team that hadn't gotten enough love in this department all year. As good as Brendan Jones has been the last couple of weeks, I think Jared Vito has been excellent for Davidson Academy. And, you know, you throw five touchdowns in a, in a quarterfinal game, you know, it, it's a big deal no matter who you play. So all apologies to everybody else on this list, but I'm giving my vote to Jared Vito. Well, I'm glad you said that because actually I was leaning that way. Um, and I, when I meant cop out, I was like, well, when you can't make a decision, you let the fans <laughs> make yeah. one for you. Uh, but you, thankfully, you took that burden away from me, and yeah. I appreciate that. But, no, honestly, uh, it's a three-way sweep. I, I, I can't argue with that at all. Very, very deserving. Yeah, there's just so many good performances that, you know, if we could give out a helmet to every one of these finals, we would. But you know, somebody's got to get it. And it's Jared Vito from Davidson Academy, who is our Citizens Bank Player of the Week for the second round of the playoffs and we need to take a break because up next jack jones former oakland offensive lineman former university of tennessee offensive lineman joins us to talk the battle of the borough version 2.0 on the 615 preps podcast presented by ncp coatings stay with us performance is important on the field on the job how about paint performance do your products leave the shop looking the best they can Can they look factory new even after years of normal use? Do your customers share their first impressions with their colleagues? When the answers are yes, you know that you demand the best from top coats, primers, enamels, textured coatings, and reducers. For the best, ask for NCP. NCP Coatings develops and delivers coatings for original equipment manufacturers and aftermarket suppliers. We work with U.S. military research labs where the demands are high and the technology is leading edge. You'll find NCP Coatings on heavy trucks, trailers and implements, recreational and commercial boats, off-road equipment, even tanks and battleships. And we prioritize collaboration. Our technical and customer support teams help with the design, forecast, and strategies specific to your product coatings needs. Visit our website, ncpcoatings.com, or call today toll-free 800-627-1948. That's 800-627-1948. One. Back here on the 615 Preps Podcast. Of course, we're talking Oakland-Riverdale this week, round two in the Battle of the Borough in the 6A quarterfinals. And who better to get for this week than someone who's experienced that rivalry and, and really both ends of it for that matter. Jack Jones, for, for, former Oakland offensive lineman and former University of Tennessee offensive lineman, joins us this week. Jack, thanks for coming on the show with us. How you doing, man? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Excited to uh, come and – Come and talk to you guys, and uh, excited for a big week, Oakland Riverdale, man. That's uh, that's good stuff. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Well, before we dive into Oakland Riverdale, I mean, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, and, and you know what you've got going on. Yes, sir. So um, I graduated last, uh, finished school up last year, and uh, now I am I'm in medical sales um, out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, been doing that since January, and uh, I love it. Um, but uh, really just um, I still keep up, still keeping up with the Oakland boys from far. I've talked to Creasy quite a bit, and uh, my dad keeps me, keeps me updated with all the news. So, um, but, yeah, doing well, just working, and uh, I guess taking on the, taking on the big boy world, um, as they say, or uh, adulthood. <laughs> so, uh, good stuff. Well, speaking of your dad, you have a little bit of unique take on the Oakland-Riverdale rivalry, don't you? I do have a unique take. Um, 
some of the listeners out there may or may not know this. My dad played at Riverdale. He's in the he's in the Hall of Fame over there. Um, actually, grew up going to uh, you know watch Riverdale games. Uh, I can remember you know Gas Miller and going over to watch Gary Rankin and you know legends like Dave Thomas. Um, and uh, so I grew up going to all those games. And like I told y'all earlier, I may have not been watching. I probably was over there on that little hill where the TP is playing um, tackle football with all the other little kids. But uh, I, I can still remember those going to those uh, games on Friday night. I, I remember traveling up to Oak Ridge back in the day, going over there to the big uh, pizza pizza place over there to see see Riverdale play. So definitely a big part of my childhood and, um, you know, starting to fall in love with the game of football and definitely a part of our family as my dad played there. And um, definitely uh, he used to, I think he used to say, you know, whenever we play Riverdale, when I was at Oakland, you know, either win or, you know, don't come home tonight. So it's definitely a big, <laughs> a big, a big rivalry for our household. But um, my brother Pruitt, when he was a senior, he played tight end and he scored his, his touch, his, only touchdown, but uh, was it was against Riverdale. It was a diving touchdown. So, just just a lot of good memories, and um, you know, I think just a great rivalry for for our town of Murfreesboro. That uh, you know, whether on the uh, the Riverdale or Oakland side, um, you truly love it. And uh, I'm hoping for a great game. Obviously, I want the Patriots to come out on top, but um, I would do anything to be in that environment. I, I mean, it's it, like I said, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Well, you were kind of in in that or in the, in Oakland's basically the start of their winning streak over Riverdale, and I think it was your sophomore year that that current streak started. Was that right? So I believe my sophomore year we lost. That was Dylan okay. Woodruff's senior year. Okay. They had a pretty good team, and also when uh, I don't know if you remember that legendary game of uh, Riverdale versus Siegel and Brent Stock still got hurt and yeah, tore sure tore his. He tore his ACL and then pl- went on to play against Maryville and almost mm-hmm. beat him. Yeah, but um, that was that was the year. You know, my class we had a lot. Of, we had a very talented class, but we went through that as sophomores, kind of winning six games. And um, after that, you know, after that year and after that feeling, we decided to. You know, we had the great along with our great coaches, um, Tom Tommy McDaniel. He's now at Christian Brothers and um, Coach Snow, uh, a line guy, Coach White. Defense coach Cowan's still there. Um, coach Oliver was my line coach. He worked with me a lot. We had a lot of great coaches, and you, you see him. Coach Hartsfield was a part of our. He's coaching at Black. I mean, we had a lot of uh, a lot of great coaching and players that you know we really took it to the next level. My junior year, and then um, at the same my senior year, never got that gold ball. Still haunts me. But uh, we, um, I think we helped pave the way for some of these some of these teams and um, some of the success they've had. But, you know, that goes to them. I think it goes to the guys that have came to Oakland and, you know, they kind of carry the carry the torch. And, it, you know, winning is, a, is something that means a lot to us at Oakland High School, and it's a standard. So um, not to mention, I think, you know, bringing in Coach Creasy, not oftentimes do you have a, a great coach that leaves and you bring a great coach in. I mean, that's uh, that speaks a lot to – you know, who the people have been hiring coaches over there for us at Oakland. And um, I just think they do a great job of getting kids ready to play, teaching them, teaching them the game of football and uh, give them the best chance to win, not only on uh, Friday nights, but in life. As you see, um, you know, there's a lot of guys give them a chance to go to 
the, the next level and get a college degree. So I think that's really great stuff. Well, the, the battle of the borough uh, during the regular season, uh, that, that has its own hype. Um, what is that rivalry rivalry like between the two schools? And is it amped up more because it, it almost has to be amped up more because of now it's the playoffs. Yeah, um, it, it is, it is. And, um, the playoffs just add that extra, um, you know, effect to this game. It's, it's a battle of the borough 2.0. <laughs> I do think, you know, like we were, we were, we were talking about, um, you know, there is, for me, it's a very important. And the reason I wanted to come on this call is very important to me for people and, and players, coaches, families, parents, to understand how important this game is for our town of Murfreesboro, because um, until you know the addition of Blackman Siegel and then now all the schools we have, that was you know that was it. And you either went to one or the other. And um, on a Friday night, that's where everyone in town was. It wasn't like you had a couple games to choose from. Um, and like for my dad, he really meant that. I mean, he it meant it meant a lot to him. You know, it, for that whenever we played Oakland to go out there and perform and do well because of the pride of the game. And um, I think, you know, this younger, like even when I was in high school, Blackman kind of was our little mini rival when Juwan was there. Um, and it's definitely something I never want to, the town of Murfreesboro or the young guys or the coaches that come in to forget how important that game is. Not only just for, you know, the rivalry, but just to, you know, look at what football has become in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's, it's not some town you just keep driving through when you're talking high school football. It's where you stop and you you check it out because and that that's along with college coaches too. They're all over the place. I mean, kids are committing to big schools. Like we're just talking about the big alignment from Oakland that just committed to UNLV. I mean, we got we got a, a talented town and a, and it's a football it's a football town, and it all started. You know, I guess you could make it started with Central, but after that, it was Oakland and Riverdale, and um, it's been so cool to see how how awesome and how um, how high school football Murfreesboro has just blown up. And I think it has affected everything, too. And I mean, you look at our girls' basketball, what we've done there. I mean, there's just uh, – it's pretty cool to see the development, and it all started with Oakland Riverdale on Friday night. Give me one memory that stands out from this rivalry for you. If, if there was one moment in your time at Oakland, what would it be? Mm. Well, I think it was my junior – my junior year. So after the year before they had, they had beat us pretty well. Um, and we came and, uh, ran the first play of the game and, and, and everything's a little hazy. When, <laughs> but, uh, I think the first play of the game, we ran power 26 power to the right, right over me. And we took it 60 yards to start the game and then went on to win handsomely. But you know, that, that, that play, I, I do remember it. But for me, the memory is lining up against, uh, you know, seeing my dad on the sidelines, giving him a big old hug after I beat Riverdale. And um, I know it meant a lot to him and as much as it did to me because he played in that game. Um, and then just getting to play with the guys, man, just getting to, getting to play with the guy that played center with me, Jackson Jordan, who he never had played all three years. He worked his tail off, put the weight on was a scrappy little guy and he got to line down and that was his only time he got to play against Riverdale. So kind of guys like that getting to play next to him where 
I mean, it was it was a Super Bowl, you know, for the, for them, and it was his it was his one chance. He'd been watching for three years the Riverdale game, and he got to do it. So, kind of getting to go line down with guys like that and um, get a win for them and for the team. I think that that's probably the best. When I look back at high school football, that's what I look at is how pure and just you know guys work their tail off to get those however many you know a regular season of Friday nights their senior year and they finally get to do it and being a part of that helping those dudes get their win and get their first win against Riverdale out there man I, it feels great yeah I believe that was a 2013 uh, 41-7 win yeah. uh, and I believe that is the win that really has kicked off the uh, what has been a dominant performance by Oakland in this series yeah it, I, they have been um, you know and I think this game too I think you know I think I haven't been able to watch a lot of film, obviously, but I think Riverdale has a good team over there. Uh, I've known, I've known the young Holcomb boy since he could, since he was when we were at Providence Christian Academy. He was a little guy, so I've seen him running around throwing the football since since he was young. I know the Holcomb family really well, so, and you know I think it can, be, I think it'll be a good game. Um, like I said, I haven't been able to watch a lot of film, but uh, it seems like it's shaping up to be a great Friday night. Uh, in Murfreesboro. For sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I know you probably want to be over here actually watching the game, but uh, the way things have developed with, like, the, the streaming and stuff, I guess being able to, to watch it online, it's probably not a bad thing, mm-hmm. huh? Oh, not at all, not at all. My, um, yeah, my my good man, my good friend Stork has, uh, has done a great job um, being able to bring Bring us a live action out here in Las Vegas. <laughs> Good to know. Well, Jack, really appreciate you hopping on with us this week. Uh, I'll let you get back to it. Uh, just thanks for coming on with us and talking a little bit about Oakland Riverdale. I know it means a lot to you, and it means a lot to Murfreesboro and that community. So glad to be able to chat for a bit. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, y'all, I really do appreciate you giving me a chance to come on. It means a lot to me. Um, I truly do love I love Murfreesboro football. I love Oakland High School with all my heart, and uh, I believe we're going to stop the chop come Friday. So yeah, yeah, hopefully anytime. If you're welcome to come on anytime you want, so yeah, y'all just, just let me know. All right, sounds good. Jack Jones, former Oakland offensive lineman, former University of Tennessee offensive lineman, with us this week on the Six One Five Preps podcast. Let's take a break. We're back after this. This is the Six One Five Preps podcast presented by NCP Coatings. Back here in the 615 Preps Podcast, it's that time of the week where we do our best to try to figure out who's going to win the best games of the week. Scott, it's time for who you got. Awesome. You had a good week last week. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a, um, be nice yeah. about it. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I guarantee you you're still leading, though. You're right, I am. Yeah, so you can be magnanimous about it. I can, I can be sportsmanlike. Yeah, you can be sportsmanlike while you still have, what, a three-game lead on me? Actually, it is three-game lead. You, you do good math. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the first. <laughs> <laughs> so, and everybody had a good week. I mean, I went eight and two. You went nine and one. Twitter photos for eight and two last week. Greg went six and four. All's as it should be. So... <laughs> That's that, and let's get on to this week's picks. We're gonna go rapid. We're gonna go rapid fire this week because there's 14 games with local teams, and we're gonna pick the winners of all of them, starting with Class 1A South Pittsburgh at Gordonsville in their in their quarterfinal round, a rematch of a quarterfinal which South Pitt won 40 to nothing last year. Gordonsville seems to be a better team this year, but can they get over this hurdle? Boy, uh, the Pirates are a juggernaut, uh, really. 
uh, averaging 55.2 uh, points per game in the regular season, gave up 49 points in seven games, and half of those came against Meigs County. Um, this team has not won. Count them. Count them. Oh, Mike's dead. Uh, not one, but two Mr. Football sem- uh, semifinalists on the team. Yeah. Um, and uh, Hunter, uh, I'm sorry, Jared Stone is a crushing blocker. He has 16 pancake pancake blocks on the year. Easy for him to say. And uh, Hunter Frame, who has uh, 31 TDs, 1,500 yards. That's insane. So all that's going up against Gordonsville at Gordonsville. And they played well since their uh, eight-point loss uh, to uh, Trousdale County, and one that could uh, argue they played well in that one. Uh, Gordonsville should be able to hang with South Pittsburgh for a while, but this Pirate team is just too good, I think, uh, for them to to hang in there. Um, every party has to come to an end sometime, and I'm afraid that you know for the Tigers, that's that's you know that party's going to end this week. I had a thought when they went on the road and beat Fayetteville that. This could be a Gordonsville team that could give South Pitt some trouble. And I still feel that way. I feel like this is going to be a pretty good ball game for a while. Now, whether they can finish the job or not depends a lot on whether they can just play a clean game and not make mistakes because that's kind of been a problem in those two losses to Watertown and Trialstow County that had some turnovers. But if they can and keep this close, they might be able to put a scare into South Pitt. But I'm like you. I, I, Gordonsville's had a great season. I'm just afraid it may end this week week because South Pitt is, is a pretty formidable foe and mm-hmm. the Pirates may wind up going on to the semifinals. Speaking of Charleston County and Watertown, their next game up in Class 2A. That quarterfinal is a rematch of a spotlight game we had earlier this year in which Watertown won it at Hartsville 9-7. to Yeah, uh, and it, it's, this is, uh, let's see, if, if we go by fate and the Farmer's Almanac and everything else, then uh, – this should flip around and Trousa should win this game. That's the way it's been. Uh, that's the way that script's been lately. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that Watertown's going to have a little something to say about that. Uh, but, you know, look at Trousa County. This ain't your daddy's yellow jackets. <laughs> These guys can, they can run and pass. They just don't need to pass that off. And no. quite frankly, and with a back like uh, Bryson Claiborne in your backfield, why would you? The guy's a truck. Seriously, though, this team is really about defense. They only allowed five points per game in their region games, and their ball hawks will turn you over if you get careless. So you cannot, cannot do that. Uh, Watertown, uh, they've just gotten better on both sides of the balls. The season's grinded on, you know, which is the way it should be if you didn't have a preseason. Uh, the only blemish uh, they have on their record is a uh, loss to 4A quarterfinalist Nolansville, a game which they lost by four points. Um. You know they really like to get revenge on the Yellow Jackets for last year's twenty-two to nineteen uh, loss in the quarters. Um, yeah, I think that Jordan Kaysen's a, a bell cow back, and he's going to want to keep the uh, pounding. The big question is to me though, how does Quantarius Hughes Malone factor into this game? Uh, if Trousdale can neutralize him offensively and not make mistakes uh, his way defensively, they got a chance to make the next round. They got to do all they can to grind this game out. They do that and force some errors out of the Watertown offense. They're going to win this game. However, I think that uh, Braden Casino and company are going to try to get off to a quick start, force the Jackets to pass, and that's going to lead opportunities for Malone. I think that Watertown wins it, but I think it's close. Snap judgment from me coming right now. 
Trialstow County special teams cost them the first game, and they're going to cost them this game as well if they don't get it cleaned up. It was the two. It was a safety in the first quarter, a bad snap over the punter's head. They wind up losing nine to seven. Trialstow County, if they can stay clean on special teams, can win this ball game. But if they screw up on special teams, they'll give points away to Watertown, and you can't do that against the against the Purple Tigers, who have been basically running over everybody since that game in Hartsville. And right. The closest they played was a 21-14 game over to Cab County. They get Cascade 35-0, White House 41-0, Westmoreland 42-6. Trousto only beat Westmoreland 17-0. To me, Watertown's the favorite here, and I'm sticking to my guns. I said Watertown at the beginning of the season would win this game, and here we are, and I can't back down now. I won't be shocked if Trousto County wins. In fact, they'll, I'll be the first one to congratulate them if they do. But I'm sticking to my guns, and I'm saying Watertown advances. Now we're on the same page there. Procone at Stewart County in 3A. Procone off of 41 to nothing went over East Nashville last week, and Stewart County comes into this game on a pretty bit of a hot streak of their own. This quarterfinal game, they're going to be looking to try to improve to 11 and one. Stewart County has won seven straight since a 28 to seven loss to East Hickman way back on September 11th. Scott, who do you like here? Well, you know, the Rebels are already farther into the playoffs than they've ever been before. Uh, they've been resilient, winning the last three games by a total of 12 points, and they got a good, solid quarterback in Will Page. He's gritty, he's a, he's a playmaker, and they have a good defensive back-wide receiver combination there in Hunter Knotts. But Pearl Cone. Pearl Cone led by Mr. Football semifinalist. Martino Owens. Our finalist, not semifinalist, finalist, finalist Martino yeah. Owens. Um <laughs> Five straight shutouts and 236 points in the last five games. Yep. Uh, that's a four points uh, against average and 41 points per game scored. Uh, yeah, I think Tony Brunetti is fashioning the offense around Martino Owens more so than he's ever done. Um, you know, last year, year they ran the ball so effectively they didn't have to pass as much. This year, Breedlove is mostly a receiver and the running is Dayton and Hodge. So. Yeah, they're they're using all their weapons and spreading that ball around. Uh, but really, let's talk defense. We talked last week about Arian DeJordan and his ability to get after the quarterback. That's made easier when you have defensive backs like Breedlove and Brown back there to to forcing uh, man coverage. It would be understandable for me to somebody to overlook this game, considering the wealth of the town on the Firebird side, the resume of the Rebels. Uh, you know, it's not that impressive until you realize they've gotten better each week and then knocked off Fairview and, Stat- uh, and Stratford. That being said, I don't think they've seen a team with this much talent and speed. No. Uh, on paper, Pearl should run away with this game. I think that the season you can't count anyone out, but I think this one is Pearl uh, going away. I, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, there, there have been a couple of goal line stands in Pearl Cone's streak of five shutouts where they've been able to stop opponents at the one. It happened again last week against East Nashville. They may or may not need another one of those, but it's going to be hard for Stewart County to score against this defense. They're playing at another level right now. And William Griffin Parker is a big reason why. He's playing on both sides of the ball. He's committed to Tennessee as an offensive lineman, but he's playing quite a bit on defense too. And it's been a big reason why teams are not scoring points against the Firebirds. I think Pearl Cone's going to get away with this one, and I won't be entirely shocked if they throw another shutout. Oh, no. Uh, I'd, but, you know, I agree with you, and I think that uh, the odds of a shutout are actually 
you know, you 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 wouldn't get great uh, great odds on that. I don't the know. way Pocono's been playing, they're they're better than usual, right now. Exactly. But Tullahoma hosting Nolansville in four A. Nolansville back in the quarterfinals for, I think this is the third consecutive year they've been there. I mean, they you think Nolansville would have lost quite a bit from last season, but it doesn't matter because they've been able to keep right on rolling along. Tullahoma, however, comes in twelve and zero, and they've run rough shot over just about everybody they played. The only real close game they had was against Nolansville on October twenty third. It was twenty nine to fourteen. So. The Knights seem to have the best shot to end Tullahoma's perfect run, but what say you? Well, yeah, last week, uh, Nolansville managed to do something many teams hadn't been able to do, which is hold DeKalb under 20 points. And it took a late goal on stand along with a 12-tackle ta- uh, game from Mike McWilliams to do it, but they did it nonetheless. Uh, you know, they got uh, – Roddy Gillardi just continues to impress. He, he has strong adding outings. And, you know, running back Samson Johnson, uh, he continues to contribute at 81 yards. But is that going to be enough to handle an undefeated Tullahoma team that averages 41 points a game and only gives up 10? Yep. You know, the last time these two teams met, uh, met Tullahoma celebrated their first Region 4 4A title. Um, for those unfamiliar with the undefeated team for the South, they are led by a quarterback is Ryan Scott. He's 1,100-yard pass with 13 TDs and only five picks. Uh, leading rusher is Jacoby Thomas. He's 6'2", 190. And, uh, you know, he put three scores on the night's last meeting. He's also a good receiver. So, uh, they and you, you look defensively, they, they are a swarming team. Caden Tucker has 20, 35 tackles, six tackles for loss. Defensive end Tyreek Nard has 10 tackles for loss and two sacks. Nolansville is going to have to play much better against the run to slow down uh, to slow down Tullahoma, and that's a tall order. But Because I, I, I think Tullahoma just has a team that can cha- challenge Elizabethan. I like the Wildcats' offensive ability uh, to stay with Gillardy and Johnson. I think I'm going to go Tullahoma in this game. No, no opponent has scored more than 14 points against Tullahoma this season. And in order to keep up with their offense, you've had to score at least 30 in every game to beat them, and nobody's done that either. So if no one still can do either of those things, they have a shot. But against Tullahoma, the way they've played this year, I'm not sure it's happened. And no one's put together a good season, but I'm afraid that it may come to an end this week. Summit and Beach in a 5A quarterfinal and one that – is a pretty strong matchup on paper considering you've got a dynamic quarterback and in, in Mr. Football finalist Destin Wade against the beach defense who has been outstanding for most of the year. Yeah, this is this is going to be, a, I think, one of the better games of the week. Uh, once again, the Destin Wade show uh, that he carried off the uh, offense to the tune of 242 yards, three TDs on the ground, um, another uh, – you know, he just the Spartans just literally ran over the Hilltoppers to the tune of 316 yards on the ground. Uh, Destin Wade only threw eight passes. De- uh, defensive, uh, defensively, the Spartans play extremely well. Hold held Columbia to negative yardage. So their defense against the run is something that Beach has to be concerned with. Um, Beach and shutting out Hillsborough, you know, they. These are just two really good defenses, and I think that 
they did a good job of sacking Macon uh, last week and getting good downfield coverage. But the Burroughs were able to move the ball. And I think that that does not bode well for the Buccaneers. Uh, they, uh, the Bucs did a good job defensively, but Destin Wade is a different animal entirely. Uh, you know, looking over their schedule, I don't know that they've faced a quarterback that is this explosive this year. Uh, if they want to win this game, they're going to have to maintain long drives, avoid getting behind. I would expect to see a lot of Adrian Johnson. I would not be surprised to see some screens to Hill and Jefferson just to keep the Spartans from loading the box. If, if someone wants to make it back to Cookville, they're going to have to stop the run and force Beach to pass, and the Bucks don't make many mistakes. So the Spartans will need to play clean ball. I think the X factor in this one is Destin Wade, though. I think his mobility should be the difference in the game. I think it's close, but I like Summit in this game. This one was a tough one for me to pick just because Beach plays so well at home that you have to go in there and play a, a top-notch game and even just to stay with them, let alone beat them. Beach's only loss came to Powell in a game that was pretty much put together on 24 hours notice in week one. And Powell's was supposed to be a 5A contender. They're now out of the playoffs. But Beach hasn't seen a dual-threat quarterback like Destin Wade. And even though they may not get Keaton Wade back this week, Destin Wade can just absolutely prove to be so many problems for an offense, whether he's throwing or passing. So Beach's defense has to be on their P's and Q's. They're going to have to have a spy on him pretty much every single play, and it's going to change the way they look at trying to stop Summit's offense. Ah, this is such a, a great game to, to think about and, and try to pick. And, you know, both teams really, I think, th- this is a championship-quality game in, in their third round. It really is. I mean, this should be the Blue Cross Bowl to me. But I think Summit, with a little bit of uh, a little bit of Destin Way magic, will be able to pull this one out too. That, that's that's kind of where I'm leaning on this one. Mm. Northeast at Henry County on the other side of that, that bottom half of the 5A bracket. A rematch of a game late in the in the regular season where Henry County dusted the Eagles. It was fifty-eight to nothing in their in their region game from earlier this year. What, what can the Eagles do? I mean, can they they find a way to to not have that happen again? I don't know. In the last twenty years, Clarksville schools have won a grand total of eight games against Henry County, uh, and uh, they haven't lost a game to Northeast in eight years. So if they are uh, going to do that, history is going to have to change. Um, you know, the Patriots just very talented. Ryan Dameron is a sophomore quarterback, does not play like a sophomore. Jamarcus Johnson's a great running back. Um, in this current seven-game win streak they have, they've averaged 53 points per game. Northeast, uh, they've got some players. Uh, Jawan Harris, uh, it took some late-game heroics for him to pull off Clarksville. Um the last time they faced the Patriots, they were down 21, though, before nine minutes were gone. I just don't know that Northeast has the horses to run with the Patriots in this game. Uh, it, I think uh, it would be, uh, if it's close, if they can if they can weather the storm, you know, anything can happen. But I just think Henry County just has too much for Clarksville. How angry was Henry County after that Brentwood loss where they lost 55-17 to on the road? Because – it sets something off in the Patriots in the last seven games where they've just steamrolled everybody. I mean, Clarksville 55-7, Kenwood 62-0, Gallatin 42-14, West Creek 56-13, Clarksville Northeast 58-0, as we mentioned earlier, Northwest 48 to nothing, 
Brighton last week, 51-16. to The Patriots are rolling right now. I think they want another shot at Beach, possibly in the, in the semifinals, and they may very well get it if Beach can beat Summit. Because I don't think Northwest is, or Northeast is going to be able to, to provide enough of a challenge to really make this close. It's, it's just too much of a gap there, I think. The Clarksville teams were so far behind to begin with. I don't think they just. I don't think they've ever really caught up, and yeah, I think Henry County's a better team. I think they'll come out here with this one as well. We talked about Brentwood beating Henry County. Brentwood has a challenge of their own. They've got a red hot Franklin team coming in that knocked off Ravenwood. And both these teams won basically in the final seconds of their games last week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you're right. I mean, this is a Franklin team that has just gotten better and better. I, we knew their offense was good, that they've been able to throw. Uh, but uh, knocking off uh, Ravenwood, that was a statement. Um, you know, they're riding that hot streak of four games. Their last loss was a 42-20 loss against Brentwood. Uh, Connor Beaven is playing at an unbelievably high level right now. Three straight 300-yard passing games, 74% passing uh, he's playing with confidence in himself, and more importantly, he's playing with confidence in his receiving core. But his offensive line is playing really, really well. If this gets into a shooting match, it's going to favor the Admirals, um, but defensively, they got to play a lot more stingy. Uh, you know, Ravenwood lost their starting quarterback in the first half, and not taking any way, anything away from Jacob Stewart, but... If that happens on the Brentwood side, we've seen what their backup quarterback can do. Absolutely. Uh, Brentwood, this is another team that gave their fans heart trouble and their opponents a heartbreak last week. Uh, you know, beating the Eagles on that last second uh, horseshoe-esque cornhole toss. <laughs> uh, I mean, really. I mean, he, if he needs to excel in another sport besides baseball and football, cornhole may be it for him. I, I don't mean, know. We pulled the horseshoe out of somewhere to get that pass <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, and and Luke, and credit to Luke Fun uh, Fun. I'm going to screw this up, Fontecha. Uh, for the touchdown, I mean, that's not an easy ball to catch when it is lobbed like no, that. No, no, not at all. I mean, you were just sitting there waiting for it and trying to hurry it up to get there. Uh, so, I, you know, that is that was just one uh, just one amazing play. You know, Grand, <laughs> Grandzell had another good day. Maybe not as gaudy as past performances, but impressive all the same. I think this game is tighter than the earlier game. But I still believe Brentwood is the better team due to Granzel's mobility. Yeah. Uh, it's just he's just so hard to stop. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, I think that I would go with the Bruins in this game. But I think it's going to be a lot closer than than previous game. Yeah, forty two twenty was the first meeting between these two teams, and, and Franklin's five losses have come to good, have good come two good teams: Riverdale, Ravenwood, Indy. JP2, Brentwood, those are the five losses. They've already avenged the Ravenwood loss. We've seen that. So, um, there's no – it wouldn't be a total shock if they if they pulled this one out too. But their defense is going to have to play better than it has been. And they gave, they've given up basically double digits in every game. So, it puts a lot of pressure on your offense when you're giving up 20, 24 points every time out. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, that our thoughts are with Coach Crawford, though. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. His mother is fighting uh, COVID and pneumonia. Uh, last I heard that uh, the things uh, uh, were, were not going well or not as well as they'd hoped. Um, 
you know, and our, our thoughts are with Coach Crawford and his family uh, as they're fighting this. So Yeah. So obviously a lot for them to think about, not just a football game, but off the field too. And we'll focus back on the field for a second. Now, I like Brentwood to win this week. But, I, I mean, Brent, Franklin's going to make this a good game. They, they are. They're playing too well right now. And it, it, that should be a fun one over there in Brentwood. And it would be interesting to see how that one turns out. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back after this to finish up who we got on the 615 Preps podcast presented by NCP Coatings. Continuing who you got here on the 615 Preps podcast, we dive into Division Two. Their semifinals are this week, so we're going to get some see some teams punch their ticket, punch their ticket to the, to say. And no right to see some teams punch their ticket to the Blue Cross Bowl in Cookville in two weeks. And we'll start with DCA unbeaten Wildcats hosting USJ. DCA has allowed one team to score 17 points this year, and that was the Kings Academy. Everybody else, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Because it's been 17 or less pretty much the entire season. They're 11-0 for a reason, and that defense is a big one wide. But John Lewis has been outstanding. He is a Mr. Football finalist for the Wildcats as well. Yeah, and a uh, 6-1-5 preps player of the week to boot. This is true, too. Yeah, uh, you know, this team, you know, we talk about they've overcome so much this year, and we avoid things like teams of destiny or stuff of that ilk. But oftentimes we see adversity forged uh, common bonds that, that bring on teamwork, sense of family, and things like that that drives the team to excellence. That being said, that should not diminish the work that these guys have obviously put in. It's taken two years for this team to go from 0-10 and 10 to undefeated yeah. in the regular season. And, you know, these these players have put a lot into this. And Bradford Gaines is an outstanding leader at that quarterback position. He is really, really good. Good bloodlines, too. His father, Brad Gaines, played at Vanderbilt. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. and But I think uh, you mentioned uh, Mr. Football finalist uh, John Lewis. You know, last week he put – 293 yards and five TDs on the boards. Um, I think the Bruins will probably be keying on him, but haven't most teams been doing that already? It, who's been able to figure that out? <laughs> so, you know, you look at on the other side of the field that uh, with uh, University School of Jackson, uh, the Bruins made quick work of Middle Tennessee Christian last week. They went up three scores before letting the Cougars get on the board. And they've got a senior quarterback, Andrew Smith, that uh, that – Put up 300 yards last week. He's an excellent quarterback. He's got 1,600 yards passing, 19 TDs, and only one, count of one interception. He takes care of the ball. This team doesn't make mistakes like uh, some other teams might. Uh, Miles Mayo is a shifty back. Uh, we talked earlier in the year when we talked briefly about this team, about Tyke Tabor and Steel Haynes and how good their receivers are. Uh, but I... They, the the one to watch, the battle to watch is going to be the offensive line against Blaine Verdung. He's 6'2", 252, and he leads the uh, USJ in tackles with 85 total, 36 solo, 10 sacks, and 14 tackles for loss. The guy is a force, and he's going to be eyeballing John Lewis. So I would, I would expect USJ probably to move him around. Uh, otherwise, one side of the line is going to get a lot more attention than the other probably. Right. Um, this may be one of the better games on the slate this week. I, I, I think there's two strong offenses with two good quarterbacks, but only one team has John Lewis. 
And I think that team, that's going to be the difference. I like DCA in this game. You're going to see a theme with my picks the rest of the way. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. But I think DCA can get to cook for and win this game. And even if John Lewis has a little bit of a, of a lighter game than he usually does, Bradford Gaines is there to pick up the slack. I expect him to contribute a little bit more in the passing game this week to help them help them get a win and get to Cookville and get to their get to the championship game. So I'm taking the Wildcats here. Lipscomb Academy, DCS in Division Two, Double A. Lipscomb Academy is playing about as well as anybody around here right now. And our latest player of the week from last week, Alex Broom, is a big reason why. Yeah, what was once the Luther Richardson show has now become the Mustang Network. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. honestly, they have so many weapons. And like you said, the breakout lately has been the rise of Alex Broom. Uh, the Maplewood transfer has been nothing short of brilliant yeah. these last uh, few weeks. Not only run the ball, but also contributing on special teams, running kicks back and uh, just doing whatever's necessary to, to move his team forward. Um it opens up all kinds of possibilities for this offense, but more importantly, it provides rest for the defense by, by being able to run the ball and not being solely run around the pass. And now the defense is really stepping up. Jaden Lyles, he had three picks and a punt return last week. Uh, Willie Barris, he's, you know, he's a shutdown guy. Uh, this team has pitched four shutouts and are averaging six points per game in the past four games. And they are very, very good on special teams as well. You're right, Chris. This team is just playing on a different level right now. Uh, ECS, you know, they're a running team. They like to feed their beast of a back in Jalen Greenwood. He carried the ball 27 times against against BGA. According to the site that I was looking at, this kid had 30 carries for 400 yards and five TDs against FRA. So this is the guy they like to carry carry the ball. I expect that that's in a perfect game for ECS. He'll get 30, 35 carries. They'll keep the they'll keep the Lipscomb offense off the field. But I also looked, and they give up a lot of yards, and they were seventy two percent on third towns they gave up to BGA last week. Those are things you can't do against Lipscomb. I just right now. I think that Lipscomb is playing at a high level. If they continue to do that and don't hurt themselves with mistakes, I think that they are going to be there in Cookville. I only need to see one thing to know that ECS is in trouble this week. Alex Broom did not get named to finals for Mr. Football. And, though he's he's probably not going to concern himself with that individual claim. He can definitely use it as motivation. And his teammates and his linemen can use that as motivation. They feel a little bit slighted right now, and ECS is going to get the brunt of it. This this could get ugly. I mean, I, I think this won't be close. I think Lipscomb wins in a blowout. I, you could be right. And, and <laughs> I'm glad you made that point because most that the linemen would take that personally. They will take that personally. I mean, just think about what Lipscomb has done to teams. Other than the, the, the 2014 went over CPA, they, they beat BJ 21-7 on senior night, but they tried some things that time. They put up 63 against St. George's in a half. In a half, remember. They put up 41 on Franklin County, 48 on Rossview, 42 on Briarcrest Christian, 61 on FRA, 45 against Good Pasture, 41 against Page. They sc- When they score points, you're not keeping up with them. And I, I don't think ECS can keep up with them. 
I think Trent Dilfer's second year is going to end up with them in Cookville playing for a championship against the winner of Good Pasture and CPA in the other semifinal. And this is also a rematch of a game earlier this year where CPA won 36 to nothing. Good Pasture's come a long way since then, though. Yeah, they really, really have. And and really, we've seen the ascendancy of Brendan Jones. Uh, he is, the last few games, he has just been a force of nature. Uh, whether he's running or catching or, you know, running punts back or, or whatever, uh, he's been kind of Mr. All-Do-It-All. And, you know, earlier in the season, Cooper Pennington was really lighting it up. They have an offense that can put points up this is not a walk in the park for CPA at all. I think that this is a, a real danger game for them if they don't come out and play their best ball. Now, that being said, I don't I think that uh Ingle Martin is not gonna let is not gonna let that happen. I think that Cade Law is gonna uh you know, he's just so talented and Langston Patterson, I think that they'll end up uh using him uh to spy. And 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 then try to get pressure on Pennington, but I think the I th- honestly I think the the Maverick Rodriguez is going to be the guy in this game. I think that if he can get going, then uh, it's going to open a lot of things up for CPA. I think it's going to open up the run game. It's going to open up Cade uh, Law a little bit more. I like CPA in this game, but I think it's a lot closer than the 36 to nothing game we saw earlier. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that one-sided this time, though we'll see how locked in CPA is because right now I think that the Lions are going to be a pretty motivated team. With what happened at Lipscomb Academy and then the uncharacteristic game they played in the second half of that game against Lipscomb Academy, they tried to make up for that in the last couple of weeks, and, and I, I can't see – a game where CPA doesn't play at its absolute best, especially in this round with so much at stake. Good pastures had a really good run, and Brandon Jones is going to get uh, is going to get some numbers this week. But it's going to be Cooper Pennington who's going to have to beat them because they'll take Jones away as much as they can. But Pennington's going to have to be the guy for Good Pasture if they're to get by a CPA. I think just CPA is a veteran team; they have the experience at this at this level. At this time of year, they've been really good, and, and I can't go against Engel Martin and, and the Lions right now. Although I, I say Tyler Turner at Good Pasture has done a heck of a job in his first year over there, and they're going in the right direction for sure. But I, I think it's CPA's game this week. On to the, on the AAA, Macaulay at Brentwood Academy. We talk about unbeaten teams. BA is one of those, and they're trying to hold off Macaulay this week. In a rematch of a game from September 4th where they had to hold on in Chattanooga to beat McCauley 30-27. to Round two, McCauley wants revenge. Yeah. Um, up until last week, uh, McCauley had been struggling a little bit to score points. Their previous three games, they scored like 7, 16, and 10, and they went 1 and 2. Last week, they got back on track. But you look at it, Christian Brothers actually ran 15 more offensive plays outgained McCauley. Um, you know, McCauley had to, uh, you know, they struck for big plays were really what got them. They had a 46-yard punt return. They had scoring passes of 73, 49, uh, 86 yards. I mean, they did not sustain drives and had to reply, rely on big plays, which, uh, you know, 
that's okay. It, it got them the win against Christian Brothers, but I don't think that formula holds against the Eagles. I think that you're going to have to keep the Eagle offense off the field. Now, that being said, they've been cutting it very, very close over the past few weeks, and it took a tremendous effort from Amira Noor and a little bit of luck covering a bad snap to stay ahead last week against JP2, who was play, really playing good ball right now, especially offensively. Um, Deuce Scott has emerged as a primary weapon in the arsenal at running back. But I, I, I still look, I think Amir Anor, uh is capable of turning that game with a catch. I'm going to go Brentwood here, but I think this is a very, very close game. I think that it's going to be a, a lot closer than, uh, than might be comfortable for the Eagles. Um, they do win close games at home, but you just wonder how long Fortune's going to smile on them. So I'm I'm going to go with Brentwood Academy, but I think that they have they have to know they've got to be playing better, better ball. This is kind of their mo, though. This is what they've done all year. They have one win of twenty points or more, and that was over Brentwood on August twenty eighth. Other than that, they're playing the tight games and they're winning the tight games. They they just know how to win. Mm. And, and this time of year, you can't really. It's hard to beat a team that, that can do that. And Taylor Montiel's been. One of the biggest reasons why he's just such a leader for that offense. But yeah, Deuce Scott is going to be, I think, the biggest factor for me in this one. You know, if he has a productive night, I, I, I think Brentwood Academy wins. I mean, they probably won't win by 20 points. But, I mean, if if you get into a tight game late, you know, why, Brentwood Academy has shown that they can win those games. And, and I can see them pulling out another close one in this one. I like the Eagles here. MUS at NBA is the other semifinal. And... We both saw NBA last Saturday play a really strong defensive effort other than one play against Baylor. You know, they really just kind of held Baylor in check most of the night. Yeah, you mentioned that play, and that was the last play of the half. And I think it just kind of got away from them. It's a defensive, it's just a just a defensive breakdown, really, that led to a 64-yard touchdown run by Elijah Howard, the, the Tennessee commitment on just a draw play, one of those give-up plays at the end of the half that uh, turned out they gave up a touchdown. So, Well, yeah, and if he's driving, if he's running the ball, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't turn your back. Yeah. Um, you know, it took a couple, we- a couple weeks early to get the Owls up to speed, but uh, after their loss to NBA the first time, they've been pretty stingy on defense. Um, I, I think this team uh, – is really kind of a mystery. You know, they, they throw the ball, they get yardage, but it's, you know, I think there's a lot of yak yardage in there because it's not a lot of attempts as much as it is yardage that they get. Um, and they try to try to be balanced as much as possible. But, um, you know, NBA, we saw with NBA what you get. If they play well, like they played in that second half, and let me tell you, Marcel Reed, uh, you know, he is just very, very good. He's dynamic. He'll be the factor in this game. Yep. Uh, they can't do what they did the first half uh, that they did against Baylor, which was turn the ball over, penalties, just bad judgment, uh, lack of focus. I think that NBA learns from that game. Being able to come back in a half and do what they did teaches you something about yourself. 
And I think that they're going to come out this game and play. Now that they're this close, I think they're going to play tougher. Uh, I think they're going to play smarter. I like NBA in this game, and I don't know that it's a close game. Uh, Yeah, you know, the last two weeks defensively, they've been very good. Uh, Prior to that, they had given up 21 or more points in every game this season. So defensively, they have gotten better as the season has gone on. They gave up 27 to MUS the first time around, and guys like Marcel Reed and Patrick Wilk are going to have to really kind of carry the load and just just protect the football in this game and get off to a better start. If they can do that, I think that they'll win this game. And I'd like NBA to win this one. I I just kind of feel like this team defensively, they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder considering what happened last year. And I think they would like another shot at at Brentwood Academy in the championship game. Also in Division Two, now Class Single A, we'll go back down there. It's our fans' choice game of the week with Nashville Christian visiting Davidson Academy. This is a rematch of a September 4th game where Davidson Academy shut them out 35-0 and, and throttled them defensively. I think, the, what was the number? Minus 62 yards? Yeah, you know, it was it was ugly. Uh, I was there. and uh, But there, there were a couple factors. Uh, first of all, um, the quarterback uh, was out, um, and uh, let's see, yeah, um, McCrary was out, and uh, then they lost uh, their their running back in the in second uh, second half. Uh, but they really, it was really at first when they started out, it was a it was a close game. Uh, they turned over uh, Davidson Academy a couple times, but then uh, they turned it right back over. Um, but there was something to be said. Uh, there was a statement that, uh, uh, Griffin Sweeney said that they knew that this team would get, would get tired, would get gassed. Um, this team's not that same team. You know, they are not that same team. Um, you know, the Bruins are, you look at, uh, Davidson Academy, the Bruins are slipping a bit lately. They're allowing teams to score more than single digits in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's okay, though, because the offense is picking up the slack. They're scoring over 50 points per game. So, you know, they're picking up those slackers over there. Uh, really, no. Really. You know, this team, the reigning Class A champion, uh, found a way to improve itself. You know, what was last year a really good running team has turned into a really balanced offense now. Uh Quarterback Jared uh, Vitato, I swear I'm trying hard, has thrown for over 2,100 yards and 26 TDs, which just means that teams can no longer worry about just stopping Griffin Sweeney. Now they have to worry about tight end A.J. Quinn, uh, speedster Juju Orr, Kelvy Rice. I mean, they have all these other things that they've got to worry about now. And just when you've seen enough of those guys on offense, you look across the line, and there they are playing defense. Um, yeah, the last time these guys met, the Bruins wanted to make a statement, and they did. Um, and I think, honestly, that Davidson Academy is kind of like Lipskin. They're playing on another level. Yeah. I, I honestly think that uh, nothing less than another gold ball will do. I think that uh, Coach Quinn has challenged his defense to be best. I I think that this game uh even I don't I don't expect 
Nashville Christian to play as poorly as they did in the last game, but I do expect the outcome to be the same. I think Davis Academy wins this, and I think they win it in in comfortable fashion. Both teams come in here on significant winning streaks. Nashville Christian nine in a row. Davidson Academy 22 straight. And in this four-year run that Davidson Academy's on, this they're going for their third consecutive title. And the numbers are staggering. I mean, they don't allow teams to get into, even into the 20s all that often defensively. I mean, FRA scored 28 in week five. Jackson Christian scored 20 last week. It's been 10 or less other than that. That's how good this Davidson Academy defense is. And Jared Vito had five touchdown passes last week. He's going to have to have another solid performance. It's not, But the thing is, he doesn't have to be spectacular because now Griffin Swinney's back there as a, as a Mr. Football finalist to, to help with the load. Uh, Nashville Christian is going to have to play almost a perfect game, I'm afraid, to, to win this one. And... And I just don't know that if it's a, it's their year. I think I think Davidson Academy is on to something really special, and they'll get to Cookville to try to three peep before they depart for, for Class AA next year. <laughs> so I, I'm going to take the Bears as well, and that brings us to our spotlight game of the week, the Battle of the Borough 2.0. We talked to Jack Jones about that earlier in the show. A little bit different than the first meeting, but Jamison Holcomb back for Riverdale and, and throwing the ball pretty well. You know, to me, he's the X factor in this game. If, if he can help slow down and keep Oakland's offense off the field for a while, we just might see a, the type of game that the Battle of the Borough has been known for over the years. Yeah, that uh, Riverdale defense is just something else. They're, they're, they really are a really solid defensive front. The, the issue is, though, is that Oakland has so many weapons at so many different positions. Um, not only offensively, but special teams and defensively. And Riverdale, Riverdale's defense, you know, they gave up 30 points to, to Oakland in their last meeting, and, and they could hold them. They could hold them to 24 or something like that. I just don't know that Riverdale's offense can put up enough points to to offset that. I, I would expect a closer game. I, I do, but I honestly believe that, you know, if you, have, if you have a leak in your particular dam, you only have so many fingers that you can plug holes. And, you know, Oakland just has way too many weapons i think they would have to play now riverdale would have to play their best ball and mistake free and oakland i think would have to really play poorly and it can happen it can happen there are there are ways for riverdale to win this game but they have to dominate they have to dominate on offense they got to get some turnovers maybe get out to a couple of touchdown lead and then they have a chance, but they have to get out in front, and then that defense locked down Oakland. That's the only way I see they can do it. Can they do it? I don't think so. I just think Oakland has way too much talent. See, I look at that first meeting just from being on the sidelines and observing it. Riverdale just couldn't sustain offensively without Holcomb in there. 
and that was the biggest problem for them. It wasn't so much that Oakland burned them on a couple of, of chunk plays. It's just that their offense couldn't sustain anything. That's going to be the key to this game. Can, can Riverdale sustain drives and keep Oakland's offense off the field long enough to make a difference? They'll have to cash them in, but I think Riverdale's going to keep this very close. This this isn't getting away from them quick, I don't think, unless everything just implodes. I'm looking forward to this game because I think Riverdale has a chance to pull off the upset. But I still think Oakland pulls it out. I'm thinking Oakland's going to take this one and move on to the semifinals. But this one could be very close. We we might see. We may be in for a classic battle of the borough this week just because Riverdale's defense will do enough to keep them in it. I'm taking Oakland, though. Oh, how am I, how am I going to catch up with you if you pick all the same? I mean, there? you know, it's just where it, it's just where it is. <laughs> it's just where it is right now. Yeah, no, it's just well played. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean, if I'm not really thinking about these and trying to beat you, I'm just trying to actually, you know, win. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, uh, you, you figure if you go long enough, I'll end up, you know, making mistakes on, you know, and, and you know what. That's what some of these teams are going to have to do this week. Yeah, absolutely. That that's kind of the game plan. But uh, that's oh, it wow. for that's it for our round three preview. And that's several good games in the docket this week. We're interested to see how those play out. When we get to next week, we'll be a little bit different. How many teams we're going to have left? Who knows? But we yeah. will have we will have some teams left, and we'll talk about them next week on the six one five preps podcast. Presented by NCP Coding. So for Scott Burton, I'm Chris Brooks. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jack Jones, again for joining us this week. And we will talk to you in a week's time. Take care. Happy birthday, Erica. The 615 Preps Podcast is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC. Our theme music is A Closet Full of Bones by Mama Tried and is used with their permission. You can download their music on the 615preps.com website or on SoundCloud. Your hosts for the 615 Preps podcast are Chris Brooks and Scott Burton. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CBrooksTN and Scott at SBurton615.